to be a great husband or a great wife, be a great Christian. And we talked about the security and the humility, the unity, the community, the purity, and even that word comedy that comes from being a great Christian. But nonetheless, then how? Like, how is it that I could really unleash all that kind of Jesus-y stuff that's waiting finally to be the husband or the wife that I was always destined to be? That final destination, that teleos, where it is that we're all heading towards to be able to finally arrive and feel like, yes, we're making some serious progress in this regard. And as we've kind of camped in Ephesians a little bit over, I need to find it here in case I want to step anything expensive. Uh, as, as we've camped in Ephesians through a lot of these lessons, I want to kind of keep us there as well right now. And if you turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 3, there's a, a great passage I want to uh, draw our attention to. I'm going to be in verse 20. Here the Bible reads, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen as Paul gets ready to start giving commands in the book of Ephesians he ends it with this kind of mad flow doxology of just busting loose and just talking about just the greatness of God. But it does say here that it is he who is able. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. How? According to his power. And where is that power at work? Within us. Now, we love this verse. But if you're like me, at different times in your walk with Christ, you have also hedged your bets on this verse. And you're like, yeah, 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 God's a great God. And, you know, like my dad, my dad, yeah, I, I love my dad. He made a lot of big promises, you know, given to me growing up. I never got that 66 Mustang uh, or the 67 Corvette. Or the, but, but you know what? They were, just, they were really fun promises. And it, and it was fun even imagining and talking about those things. But, you know, that's just my dad kind of just going off a little bit and, and, and making things fun. But I, I know he loves me, and yeah, those things probably won't happen. God forbid that that's what we bring into our reading of what God our Father gives to us. All that he says, all his promises are yes, yes, yes. He makes good on them, even to the point where he allows his very own son, whom he loves, with whom he is well pleased, to go ahead and be a torture substitute for every one of us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And his power is able to do immeasurably more, more than we ask or imagine. Even in your marriage right now, even what you could ask or imagine that we have not yet even begin, begin to appreciate what it is that our marriages could be, or for that matter, what it is that our Christian walk could be with this power. And there's, there's a real reason why that's the case is that we have been, and, and we bring in baggage from our different religious past, and it's baggage regarding this power that is in work within us. And what, what is that power that's work, work within us? Well, it's the Spirit of Christ. We have been indwelt 
with the power that raised Jesus from the dead. The very power that created the heavens and the earth. That power now dwells within us. Us. Who knew that that could really be the case? But yet as we kind of appreciate what the book of Ephesians even says on, on this area of the Holy Spirit, I'll just read some of these to you. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed and you were marked, marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Well, what good is that? Here's the good of it. It is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is not some uh, weak, thin promise. This is promise, ironclad, guaranteed promise by the death and resurrection of Christ and by the sealing and, and the earnest of this Holy Spirit, he who now dwells within us and with the resurrection of Christ, all of this has already been set into motion. It's already now made, made right and real until the restoration of all things. A little later, he says in, in chapter 1, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Wow. By the way, when we read carefully, we read just a couple verses later, when he took us from dead in sin to alive in Christ and we were reborn of water and that spirit, not only were we, in a sense, resurrected, but also exalted. And, and it goes on to say, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. God raised us with Christ and seated us with him. Past tense. You're already seated with him. If you've been born again, spiritually regenerated by the Holy Spirit, then he has seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. And, and then it goes on to say, why? Well, so that he could show in the coming ages the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness in Jesus. I like that because it means that we don't actually get this yet. But in the coming ages, we'll be kind of like, whoa, now I really, wow, how kind. God really has been to us. The expression of this kindness and his love. I love the way even this passage, you know, the NIV doesn't quite capture it, but in, in some of the other translations, the NET, ESV, talks about with the great love with which he loved you, he then made you alive in Christ. They double it up on, on love, love, love. Nothing that we've done. You know, b before I uh, kind of got mic'd up, I was, you know, getting ready for everything, and uh, Jen in the back said, um, hey, do you want to be loved today? And I was like, well, sure. She was come with me. And I was like, wow, what? is this kind of some you know, pre-service ritual that, that, that goes on here or, or what? And, uh, and, you know, so I'm kind of standing out up there a little bit awkwardly, like wondering, like, what's going to happen? Is, you know, somebody going to kind of anoint me? Or what was it? And, um, and she just put the lavalier mic on me, and I realized, oh, she said, love. Do you want to be loved today? I'm not hep to the, the AV terms just yet. So even if I doubt that I'm loved, I know at least at this moment, I am certainly loved. 
So I got that going with me as well, which is nice. We're, we're not quite done looking at, at this. Paul prays to these Christians. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit pervades the scriptures again and again and again. But as I mentioned earlier, we carry a little theological baggage with us. Right? We didn't just kind of spring from the head of Zeus fully formed. Uh, we, we actually you know, come from somewhere. We need to be conscious of, of what it is that, that really preceded us. And you know, something really special happened in Dallas. I was just talking to Gordon uh, about this. But something happened in Dallas in 1968 that really was kind of the, the germ that, that sprang into what we all have now. And it was the Dallas Evangelism Conference in 1968. And it was a campus conference. And it was at that time where all of the different chairs and the campus leaders all gathered together right here. And, and any of the folks that are a bit mature will tell you that's a seminal event. That was a turning point, stake in the ground, market for history to remember that. More important than any living room was the gathering in Dallas in 1968. Because it was at that point where there was a real outbreak and an expression of the Holy Spirit guiding young zealous folks to get after winning the world for Jesus Christ. And it, it, it really was the kind of what, what then became Gainesville and some other movements and, and ultimately all that, that we can thank God for. But as exciting as all of that was for them, afterwards, I, I was reading recently that there were a lot of conferences after that conference, and I mean smaller conferences, with the elders in the local churches, with the people that had gone to this conference in 1968. And this was the question they wanted to ask. Not, tell me about the excitement that now has you guys on fire. Tell me how it is that I can kind of, kind of catch hold of that fire as well. That was not the question. This was the question. Do you think that at that gathering, the Holy Spirit acted outside of the words on the page? And it was quite accusatory. And, and through these little mini inquisitions of, what you, you tell me. Was there some sort of heresy going on where the Spirit was working outside of the words on the page? Rather than recognizing John 3, hey, the Spirit comes where he comes from. He goes where he pleases. Put him in a box. Good luck with that. But it's easier to kind of help people be unified in Christianity if we limit the variables. And much of the great success of the early churches of Christ we're limiting variables using reasonableness as you interpreted the scriptures. But what could throw all of that off? Well, the, the great variable that nobody has a chance of being able to harness or control in any way or claim. But it is the unbridled power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it, it, it reminds me of a, of a clip from a movie that I'm going to show. It's, it's probably something rather familiar to that. We have this unlimited, cosmic, unbridled power in an itty-bitty living space. See if you can, can see this.
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slide it back and let them get audio on. All right. Well, we'll try it anyway. If not, you can imagine those words I said coming out of cartoon characters. And just as he's expressing the, the excitement, evil as it is for him, of, of unlimited power, he says, is there one thing that you're forgetting, Jafar? What is that? You're a genie. And then he says, unbridled cosmic power in an itty-bitty living space. Thank you very much. We don't need no stinking sound. however, have this power. And it's not just confined to this itty-bitty living space or this itty-bitty living space, but it is the very power that is going to redeem all of creation. And, and it flows within us if indeed we have come to, to really enter into Christ. Let me read to you a very interesting passage here. And oddly, I am uniquely qualified to be able to share about this passage. I'll tell you why in a moment. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. We'll start in 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, there's a contrast, but yet a comparison there that we'll come back to. Now, when you are filled with the Spirit, what does that look like? Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing, make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you have this interesting phrase, which here it says, don't get drunk on wine because that leads to debauchery. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. And then all of the kind of the manifestations of that that are, are then mentioned. Now, it's interesting because there are some, some rather real similarities between getting drunk on wine and being filled with the Spirit. And if anybody had just walked in off the street yesterday and watched the lip sync competition... would they make sense of that from an unenlightened point of view? And if they stayed long enough, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I can't watch, but, but you know what? I can't help, I can't help but, but not look away. I asked Debbie to tell me when it was over, but she wasn't with me on that one. No, but it was, it was so much fun. Why? Because you know what we saw there? You saw brothers that were clearly just excited to, to really be living in unbridled joy. And inhibitions, inhibitions dropped to the ground. 
And, and when you allow those inhibitions to really just peel away, there's, there's something really special that happens. Uh, when Deb and I walked into breakfast yesterday morning and, and we looked around, and, and right away I said to her, I was like, this place is filled with disciples. And we, we, didn't, we didn't see Bibles out yet. We didn't know any of that. We just saw the animated interactions, the deep expressions of love, the connections that never would occur when you just see it if you walked into a regular restaurant. Unless the people in that restaurant were drunk. <laughs> you know, think, of, think about this. In, in Acts chapter 2, for those of you who don't know the story, I'll just kind of paraphrase it. But the Spirit finally comes upon the apostles. And they're given the charge to be able to bring the gospel good news to all the nations that have gathered at, at the festival of, of Pentecost, those weeks. And, and as they're there, they begin to preach. And they begin to preach, and everybody there doesn't hear gobbledygook. They hear them speaking in their own foreign language, on, in their own native tongue. And so wh whatever it is that, that you might you know, have a, a proficiency in, let's say we, we had a, a group of folks that were up here right now, and, and all of a sudden, you know, Derek, you know, knows, knows Russian, for, for example, and uh, other of you have got it. But, but if I suddenly, like, busted out in Russian right now and, and really went for it with, with, with him, I don't think the first thing that Derek would think is, you know, I, I saw Ed at breakfast, but I didn't, I didn't see him really drinking heavily. But he must have really put back, like, a whole bunch of vodka if he's able to talk Russian right now. Like, doesn't that seem to be an odd, like, if this, then that? Like, if you speak a foreign language, and I know you're speaking a foreign language, then the conclusion must be, oh, you're drunk. <laughs> and, of course, Peter says to them, what? It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And, but here's, here's what I've thought. You know, we were just in that spot. We were on the southern steps where, where Peter preached a couple months ago. And we had time to really reflect on that and study this. And, and I think really what the people observed is those 12 guys or how many guys that, that were there uh, just loving it, preaching the word to, to one another. But I think what they recognized is the way that they were just so effusive in their enthusiasm about the gospel of grace. The way that they just embraced one another. They loved one another deeply. The depth of bond that they wouldn't normally see man to man that they were experiencing right before their very eyes. To, to be able to see without limits and excitement expressed, whether it be through songs of joy or thanksgiving, that they wouldn't have normally have ever seen. And I think it was that which made them think, okay, yeah, 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 they're speaking foreign languages, I'll give them that. But on the other hand, look at the way they're acting. These guys are drunk on new wine. And again, I, I say that I'm uniquely qualified to be able to speak of this, you know, I didn't become a Christian until much later in life. I was, I was almost 29, I was actually almost 30 uh, wh when I was baptized here. But in the preceding years of that, from 21 to 26, I was arrested four times for drunken disorderly conduct. Once in London, once in Daytona Beach, once in Philadelphia, once in Virginia Beach. And I know what it's like to actually behave what is, wh when you're drunk on wine. And in most of those cases, you know what was going on with me that night? I was singing. I was giving thanks. 
I was telling everybody how much I love them. Just try and stop me from any of that. And, and why, though? Why, why was I exhibiting that kind of behavior? Well, because what, what is it that alcohol does, but it strips away your inhibitions? And, and without those inhibitions, suddenly you, you say things to one another. And, you know, it's the, you know, the kind of recent phenomenon of the drunk text uh, or, the, or the drunk phone call that, that people are like, oh, what did I really say when my inhibitions were down? You know, maybe I professed my undying love for that person or whatever it might be. Now, know that. That promotes, though, debauchery. Because if all you have is your flesh and now you don't have your inhibitions, well, then the best of your flesh has suddenly been peeled back. And for me, I began to rely heavily because of, because of my flesh. I began to rely heavily on my inhibitions. That's what saved me from seven more arrests. And if it wasn't for my prefrontal cortex saying, think about the risks in this behavior right now. I think it's time to throttle back. I think it's time to throttle back. And, and, and praise God for all of those experiences of a prefrontal cortex kind of reining me in and helping me to appreciate that would this be decorous? Would this be protocol? Uh, would Miss Manners approve of what's going on right here? What are the social norms? Take some cues here and kind of rein yourself in so that nothing bizarre is going on and that the debauchery at least is not as evident to everybody as it otherwise would be. Now, that's the phenomenon when you're drunk on wine. The phenomenon when you're drunk on wine, though, is your inhibitions fall to the ground and you give full vent to your fool foolishness. But when you're filled with the Spirit, and, and when we know that this has been the case in our lives, when we're filled with the Spirit and we begin to just sing songs and give thanks and express love and, and live life and have enthusiasm, those same inhibitions are likewise peeled away by the Holy Spirit. But here's the beautiful part is, you don't have to be afraid now of your inhibitions no longer being the final say in your life. Because when they're peeled away, it's not your flesh that will give full vent to debauchery. But now what is it? The Spirit of God, which will now align you with the will of God. Because what does it say right here? Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Suddenly, you have now peeled back the last firewall that keeps you from just going for it for the will of God. But it's very difficult to pull back our inhibitions because they've served us so well in our before Christian life. And it's, it's difficult to trust that anything but our fleshly inhibitions is what's going to make the most of every situation for us now. And yes, we justify it. I'm just being wise. I'm, I'm, you know, I, 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 I'm going to fight my battles at the right time. And, and we can talk about being strategic about our outreach or about our connections one to another. But, but honestly, much of all that is is just our pride, our pride of individuals saying, you know what, I don't want I, I to have my reputation besmirched. By, by going for it right now in my love for Christ or, or in sharing in different ways. Uh, th this is not just an idea that's expressed here. Uh, Zechariah expresses it, uh, th this idea of being drunk on wine where you roar like a lion after the great battle victory that is described there, even though you aren't really drunk on wine. 
And you're just so filled with the Spirit. And what God has just done, you just can't help but just kind of, rah, like, oh, God is great. How amazing is this? There was a contemporary of Paul who wrote at the same time. His name was Philo. And he wrote, he wrote in Greek as well. This is something interesting that he wrote. I'll read it to you in, in, in its fullness. Uh, of course, here I, I've uh, summarized it. Now, when grace fills the soul, that person rejoices and smiles and dances so that to the unenlightened, he may seem drunken. Let me, let me read the rest of this quote for him. And thus, many of the foolish are deceived and suppose that I'm going next. It's a really great point. Uh, and, and perceive that the sober are really drunk. Here it comes. Uh, are, are foolish and, and thus are deceived and suppose that the sober are really drunk. And it is true that these sober ones are drunk, but only in a sense. And in the last couple years, which has really only been the last year and a half, our, our church and especially our staff in Hampton Roads have really tried to commit ourselves to a deeper, keener appreciation of whether we are sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit, living by the spirit or just living by our best of our prefrontal cortex. And while amen for our prefrontal cortex and all that it does, it nonetheless, I believe for myself, is a governor or a cap on what it is that the spirit wants to really express through my flesh bag here. And if I could just let that get, get pulled aside and, and instead allow the spirit to have a full access pass to this life that I live, to these steps that I take, to these words that I would speak, and that it really could be by the Spirit, my goodness, what a difference that is. Now, we also recognize that it is a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. And interestingly, this is not just all about me, you know, kind of you know, getting, getting whacked through, through, through the whole year. But there are times where I think, you know, you know what, I would really love to just go escape into some sort of binge-watching of a, of a TV show right now. But when I, when I really kind of think, all right, am, am I really living by the flesh of the Spirit? That spirit of self-discipline kind of sits me back down to, to write up those Bible talks and send them out to the Bible talk leaders or, or to kind of spend extra time in preparation for the word of God and to have a spirit of self-discipline in those matters. But the spirit of love, oh my goodness, what a difference. When, when I really am trying to think consciously, I, am I now living by the flesh or by the spirit? And to just spend time in the fellowship with brothers and sisters and to allow it to no longer be about me having a, a kind of a sense of decorum, as I mentioned before. And you know how that goes. You know, it, it could be, you know, Alan and I, I think, are, are, are you know, pretty friendly. But, you know, as, as we hang with one another in, in fellowship, there is a certain set point or homeostasis of expectation that he and I would have in fellowship in here. And, it, you know, we might encourage one another and it might be kind of, you know, fun and deep. But it, but it may not really stop to the point where I could, you know, really say to him, you know, brother, you, I mean, you have such a love for God that I could see here, even as you sang. And I mean, you moved not only, you know, me, but I saw everybody around me and you know, praise God. 
for this gift that he's given you. And I mean, this is invaluable. You brought us into the heavenly realm. Again, if I'm going by the flesh, I don't say that. I'd be like, man, that was sweet. Way to go, bro. And, And that's it. And but what if what if let's just say in fellowship, never mind marriage for a minute. What if in fellowship we let our inhibitions fall to the place where they need to be? And that we worship in spirit and in truth. Think of the interaction, one with another again and again, about the depth of appreciation and love, encouragement, the scriptures that would be brought to bear to be able to be applied, the encouragement that would be given, how we might even prepare ahead of time to to be able to let people know that, that the power that dwells within you is the same that raised Jesus from the dead. Brother, you can persevere through this. I'm so encouraged by what the Bible says about what is ahead of you right now. Again and again, how much tighter would all of our bonds be? How many fewer people would be thinking about falling away? And, and, and how about our evangelism to the world? Even as we head out as, as couples, you know, to, to be able to, you know, think, oh, you know what? I don't think it would be cool if we really start gushing about Jesus right now. Well, how do we know? How do we know? Because all we've tried is to be cool. I got this. I'm going to be savvy. I'm socially savvy. You watch me work, hon. None of those people ever come to church. But I feel like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty smooth operator there when I evangelize. And, and here's the sadness is for, for the previous couple of years before we really started to look at this, I think I went over for, for like 18 months for even people coming to church. But then after this, the conversations that I had were, I, I can only describe them as magical with people. You know, suddenly like Jesus started coming off my lips as I'm talking to people. Whereas before, all that came off of my lips were GPS directions of how to get to the service. So inspiring about that. It sounded cool. It sounded normal. But, but, but suddenly, you know, all of a sudden then people say, oh, my goodness, I was just talking to my wife about this. And this is exactly what we're saying. And, and you know, all of a sudden people are now coming to church and the conversations are deep and it's salty and filled with grace, seasoned with salt. It, I mean, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I, I'm starting to experience life to the full. And here's the cool part, says the staff. Did ever, anyone ever feel a moment of boastful pride? All we felt was like, we are such idiots. We could have been living like this all along, but because of our own reputations and, and our own self-will, we have been capping the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. Holy smokes, thank you, God, for at least kind of opening our eyes and, and, and allowing us to know what it is to live life without those limits and to have the Holy Spirit really not flowing from within us but being expressed through us again and again. Now imagine that as you talk with your wife or as you, as you talk with your husband. And so many of the times where you think, uh, you know what, she already knows. How many times do you think, oh, you know what, I, I would really love to just sit and, and really let her know what a kind of a saving grace you know she is to my life how there is no way i could ever ever have grown in christ without without you debbie being that influence in my life 
to, to be able to refine me, complete me, guide me, to, to, to be a, a, a kind of a north star when, when I'm losing my way. I mean, rock solid, never ever having to doubt your faithfulness to Christ, your, your commitment to Jesus. Thank you for giving that to me again and again. And, and yeah, maybe in a card we might do those things. But you know why? It's normal in a card to do those things. It's expectation. That's not much different than just being kind of really good and maybe even incorporating it into our prefrontal cortex of, of, of what is kind of normal, decorous protocol behavior in these things. But what if we take the cap off of that and that power of love is now able to really happen in our marriages? As a side note, even, what if those inhibitions were flung away in your bedroom? And to, to, to really now just express love in all sorts of 3D ways uh, that, that, that you could do so. And to even like talk about things like that. God invented it. it. It says here, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. His will is for epic intimacy. A one fleshness that causes the world to sit up and wonder, how did you all ever get to, to that place? Whether it be in, in emotional intimacy or sexual intimacy, in, in being able to be aligned with one another for a cause so much greater than yourselves. Wow, get me some of that. And again, as, as, as Peter preached on Pentecost, and, and, and the people there were wondering, like, how, 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 how are they able to do these things? And to the scoffers, the best they could come up with is they're drunk. Well, drunk in a sense. But, but that's only to the unenlightened. But let it be that when people see your example, that, that this is their takeaway. That they realize, as, as uh, Peter said, you know what? It may be 1230, but he doesn't care. It's 9 o'clock somewhere. With all deference to Alan Jackson, isn't he a good Texan, I think? I don't know. And, uh, and uh, Jimmy Buffett. Um, which, which, of course, is a song about being 5 o'clock somewhere. We're not talking about 5 o'clock somewhere. We're talking about 9 o'clock somewhere. If we could hold on to this and cherish it. And by the way, this is not something that once you do it, you're like, okay, I tried that. That was kind of nice. You know, kind of let the spirit you know, roll a little bit here. It, it, it isn't the phenomenon. It's like you taste and, and see that the Lord is good. And it's like, wow, wow. That's the life I was always meant to live. That's exactly the way that I want my fellowships to go. And I, was, I was also telling Gordon this morning that, you know, Gordon in fellowship, he, he takes the limits off. Uh, it, almost to the point where I feel sheepish and uncomfortable. It's like, he is so loving right now. Like, how do I, how do I make sense of it? How do I even receive all of this? You know, it almost feels like what the apostles must have felt like when Jesus loved to the full. And what did he do when he loved to the full? Disrobed, put on the little cloth got down at their feet and washed their feet and just told them how much he loved them and how, no, not only do I love you, I like you. You're my friend as well as the one in whom I'm entrusting all. Think of like, think of like Jesus doing that to you. Or like, oh my, there's just so much love just being blared at me right now. I don't even know what to do. 
Well, that's what we get to blare at one another. The way that Gordon does it to, to deal with us is what we get to do to one another. You don't have to climb a mountain or swim a sea. You don't have to go through penance. You don't have to do any of these things to be able to do this. This is the power that dwells within you right now. And if you want to see your, your relationship with your kids transformed as you just pour love and encouragement and affirmation into them, as you just kind of bust out spontaneously into song in the home of how great God is, to have that atmosphere in your home in which your whole family can enjoy, to, to be that incubator where the, the Holy Spirit is now making inroads throughout your entire neighborhood because this is the identity of who you are, the way you live, that they can see from a block and a half away when they look at your front yard and they have to wonder, are they drunk this time? Still spirit-filled. Amen. Still spirit-filled. But boy, it's, it's really evident. Now, some of you say, yeah, but I'm an introvert. Maybe this only works for extroverts. It's not the case. You know what? I think whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, when you really allow your inhibitions to fall to the ground, here's what happens. I think extroverts actually put on a show to keep from being intimate and loving. And what happens when an extrovert, and I'm more of an extrovert, Deb's more of an introvert, but when an extrovert really allows the spirit to, to fill him or her, that instead of kind of being so loud, what you end up being is just simply warm and loving. And same thing for an introvert. That when you do allow those, it's more difficult, admittedly, for an introvert to allow those inhibitions to, to fall to the side and now the spirit to, to have full vent, full expression through your life. Same thing. You don't have to become kind of a, a, a wild and crazy guy. But all you have to do, all you have to do is, is, is I, I think what you end up being is warm as well. It's really warm and loving and connecting. And, and I think what people will, will recognize is not how, how wonderful you are, but how wonderful you make them feel. How, how much it is that they've actually felt the love of Christ, maybe for the first time in their life through this. This comes to us in the Holy Spirit, the spirit that made us sacred, the spirit that sealed us and guarantees when the new heaven and the new earth come guarantees what it is to come for us came at no small price came at the death the shedding of blood to from jesus for our own souls so that we wouldn't have to live lives of of quiet desperation but that we could live lives to the full that very spirit allows us even as we take communion communion with the spirit of christ Communion with Christ, as we take this communion through the bread and the wine, as we take it in these, these cups, if you're not familiar with them, you'll kind of peel off the, the foil on the top first to be able to access the, the bread and then peel off the entire thing to access the wine. Um, I'm in the process of patenting a, uh, it's like a cheese-filled combo, and it, and it has the bread on the outside and a wine on the inside. It'll be much simpler when that happens, but not yet. But, but as we take of this, of this bread and this wine, there's no mistaking what this was all looking towards. It was looking towards the priests, the priests who were so holy that after the sacrifice, they could eat the body of the sacrifice. But guess what they could never touch? The blood. Why? Because the blood was too sacred. As, as Leviticus says, the blood is the life of the animal. It's the life of the thing. 
and, and the, the blood being the life of the thing was too sacred for any priest to consume. But now, having been reborn by this spirit, this spirit of power, the spirit that fills us, this very spirit that sanctifies us right now as we, in kind of awe, get ready to commune with the body and the blood. We are made so sacred by this spiritual regeneration that Jesus talks to us about sharing not only in the body, but the blood as well. The body that was sacrificed for us so that we could have all of this, so that we could even have this body and that we could be the body of Christ. And the blood, the grace, the washing, this amazing gathering, this new life that is ours. So let's pray together as we contemplate what it is that Jesus has done so that we can have this life to the full. Dear Father,